each other's hands first. It's been a while. We took a break. Stand up, shake somebody's hands, tell them hello, good morning, nice to meet you, glad you're here. Try and see someone that you've never seen before this morning. Caught me off guard with that mashup. I wasn't sure if that was one song, two songs, what was happening there. Once you've had a chance to meet the folks around you, you can grab a seat. We'll share some announcements together. Welcome to the Vine Community Church, where it is still Christmas until we decide to take down the trees. So they are up, and we are never letting go. So uh, they will eventually come down. But Happy New Year. Hopefully everybody made it through the snow. If you are here for the very first time, we want to tell you what an honor and privilege to have you in worship with us. If you would take a moment and take that little white card that's in your seat or the one next to you, Fill it out. Let us know that you're here. We'd love to tell you a bit more about our church, things that we have going on, how you can get plugged in, that kind of stuff. On the back side of that is a prayer card. Our prayer team takes the opportunity to pray over you and for you very seriously. We love that opportunity. We also, at the end of worship, during our closing song and during communion uh, today, we'll have people in the back of the room on our prayer team right back there in those little chairs in that lamp that would love to take a moment, pray for you. If you have anything going on in your life, please utilize them. They would love to uh, pray for you. So you can drop that little white card, tears off. You can drop it under your seat or you can put it in the offering box in the back of the room. We don't pass a plate here. We just ask you if you want to support our community uh, through giving, you can do it in the back or you can do it through our online community called The City. The City is how we stay connected during the week. It's how we share announcements and stuff together. Right out in the very front area, you'll see two iPads. All you got to do is put your information in there, little kiosks, and we'll get you all signed up um, on The City. Everything is starting back up this week. Our men and women's Bible studies are meeting again on Monday night. We would love for you to be up here and be a part of that. I think the men are uh, going to start going through the book of Daniel, and the women are going to continue down the trajectory they've been going on for quite some time, which is Genesis. So we'd love for you to be a part of either of those. They meet up here at 6 p.m. on Monday evenings. We also have a men's Bible study that meets on Tuesday mornings at 7 a.m. at Chartel Cafe, which is overall 50th and Chartel. It's open to any guys that want to come. We have a, a life group that meets up here on Thursdays, a recovery group that meets at 530. It's open to anybody, whether you're dealing with addiction or dealing with obsessive behavior. They love to have you just come and show up and be a part of that. So all those things are starting up again. Some of them never stop, but everything will kind of start up again uh, this week. One of the things I mentioned last week uh, that we're starting on the 22nd of this month is we are starting a middle school kind of, for lack of a better term right now, Sunday school class at 945 for middle school age kids. So if you've got a middle school age kid or you know somebody that does or you want to come, we're going to start up here at 945. We've got a great group of folks in our church to begin to do games and breakfast and ministry with those kids, and we'd love to, you to be a part of that. Greg Taylor is kind of organizing the effort, and we need some volunteers that are willing to sign up. Like I told you last week, he printed six pages of sign-up sheets. So we've got four slots filled out on six pages. So we've got some work to do. But right out there at the front of the check-in desk, you'll see that. If you're interested, you don't have to teach necessarily. Just maybe you want to bring donuts in the morning once a month. Greg will get all that organized. Anything you want to do to sort of help out. We've got a great group of young people we're going to start trying to uh, reach on Sunday mornings. And we're excited about that. And so we'd love for you um, to be a part of that as well. In the years past, we have hosted uh, an annual women's conference sort of satellite feed called the If Gathering, and Ashley Adams has headed up that effort for us, and so I've invited her to come up this morning and tell you a little bit more about our effort this year with the If Gathering and how you can get involved. Good morning. Um, if you guys have been here uh, in the past, I guess about two or so years ago, we started Acts, um, and we just finished it not too long ago. Um, and if gathering, um, I mentioned that because this year, if gathering, we're going to go back to Acts 2 and we're going to talk um, about the early church. Um, if gathering is a group of women who have come together um, to uh, lead um, groups all over the nation. And so we are going to gather here. Um, the reason why it's called if is because they're not afraid to ask the questions. Um, um, and so this year, uh, we're asking the question, what it, what does it look like if we go back to um, the simple ways of the early church? Um, and so it's a one evening and one day. It'll be February 3rd, um, Friday night, February 3rd, and Saturday, February 4th, um, that we're going to host here. And Friday night, we'll have a potluck um, dinner with the women. Um, and Saturday, it'll start about um, 9 o'clock. And um, we just watch the segments um, that these leaders um, all across the country um, and all across the world, really, um, come together 
as women and, and are leading us through scripture. And it is really powerful. Um, they're some of the, the greatest women. Um, I've had the honor of meeting um, a couple of them. Um, but they're authors and they're pastors. And um, they are just dedicated to raising a generation of women who um, are not afraid and um, want to see the church and see generations come together and, and have a movement um, in this world. Um, and right now, it's just, um, I think we see, um, we're getting away a little bit from um, what the simple, the simple ways and the pure ways of, um, of the early church. And um, so we're going to take a look at what it means for our lives to daily to surrender um, to God. So um, it's a great fellowship. Any um, women are welcome, any ages. Um, we will gather and um, go through questions, and we're going to have conversations. Um, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful time. Last year, we had about um, 20 women who had never even stepped into this building, um, into the vine. Um, they just randomly saw that we were hosting one, and it was really cool to connect with women from all over our community um, who were dedicated to um, just drawing closer to the Lord and, and reaching out to others. So um, please um, come. If you can't come for the whole time, um, that is okay. Uh, just sign up um, and come when you can. I'll have the sessions um, later this week of the times that you would know that you would be able to come. Um, and there is a sign-up um, on the event um, on the city page um, for the IF Gathering, and I'll be putting some more information on there. But if you have any questions, um, please come if you can and invite your friends. Um, it really is a beautiful time. Last year we had about 100 women in and out. Um, and so I really just hope you can come and, um, and gather with us. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ashley. Like she said, this information's on the city. You can message Ashley on the city or we'll be posting more stuff and uh, we want to get you connected. But it's important that you register so we know how many people to expect and all those kind of things. That's an awesome opportunity and we'd love for everyone um, to get involved. As we transition our way back into worship, let's go before the Lord and just ask him to prepare our hearts to worship him and meet with him this morning. Let's pray together. God, you are incredible. Uh, you are beyond our imagination. God, you are beyond our understanding. And Lord, we have the distinct privilege of gathering together this morning to worship you. From all walks of life and all backgrounds and all histories and all ages and all things, God, we, we come to this place, not because this place is special, uh, Lord, not because this place itself is anything other than a building, but because when we gather, Lord, there's something that delights your heart when your people gather and worship. And so, Lord, we take seriously the opportunity this morning to come before you. We've got all kinds of things that block our minds, that block our hearts, that block our souls as we think about worship. Lord, some of us are distracted. We're living in brokenness or sin or struggle or fear or anxiety. And, Lord, we need to release those things. And take just a moment right where you sit this morning and just ask the Lord to take whatever's kind of an obstacle in your heart today and just remove it. Whether it's a distraction or whether it's a thought of what has to happen this afternoon or just other things going on, relationship issues, financial issues, fears, whatever, just ask the Lord to prepare you to worship him. Whatever he needs to remove, just ask him to remove it this morning. Lord, your ways are above our ways. They are wonderful. They are true. And so, God, we ask that you would do what you will in our hearts this morning. Teach us through worship. Teach us through your word. Lord, draw us into your presence. We ask that your spirit would move in us. God, begin to do a work in us, Lord, that we might follow you and honor you with all of our lives. Lord, we gather here this morning to worship the risen Lord Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. And we ask this in his perfect and risen name. Amen. Let's stand together and continue to worship this morning. Lord, we come before you and we ask that you would reveal these things that we're singing, Lord. You'd reveal them as truth. You'd open up our hearts, our spiritual eyes to see what these truths can look like in our lives to see who you truly are.
Amen. If you've got elementary age kids or uh, younger, we'd love to be a part of what we have going on this morning with our Vine Kids Time. Miss Katie's opening the door and she will walk you all right out that way. Remember, just uh, thinking about this is kind of new for us, but uh, on January 22nd, we're going to be opening up our Sunday morning windows a little more to middle school age kids. And we're kind of using that term pretty roughly, uh, somewhere in the fifth through eighth, ninth grade-ish range right now as we try and adapt and begin to grow and begin to start working in some youth ministry windows and starting trying to love the kids that God has put in our midst and, and, uh, and those kind of things. Um, so in the next few weeks, or sometime in the next few weeks, we're going to be starting this new preaching adventure, right? We uh, kind of slow on the uptake because we came out of two plus years of Acts, and I'm kind of enjoying dreaming and thinking and studying through where we're going to go next. But the next couple of weeks, I'm going to kind of reveal to you where we're headed and kind of lay out a game plan uh, as kind of how we're going to get there as those details kind of unfold. But in the meantime, I want to talk this morning about something that uh, has kind of been stirring in my heart this week. I was having a pretty candid conversation with someone this week about the fact that I feel like I was in a season or I'm in a season where I just lack wisdom. Right and and not wisdom like like smarts like uh, it's never like sort of in the lead sentence on my resume anyway but like wisdom like you know just the ability to sort of know what to do in a situation or in a time in your life where you just feel like I don't really know what steps to take forward right I just feel like I lack true real biblical wisdom and so I started thinking about all the places in Scripture where God is asking his people when they, when they, when they lack wisdom to ask for it. Like James chapter 1, verse 5, where he says, If anyone lacks wisdom, they should go before the Lord and ask for it. And the Lord gives without finding fault, and he will give them wisdom. And Scripture is full of those places where we go before the Lord and we ask for wisdom. But in almost all of those cases, wisdom is not that sort of academic prowess or smartness. It's actually something altogether different. It was once said that wisdom is the ability to live what you already know. And as I started thinking about this season in my heart and kind of what I was talking to this guy about and just what scripture was saying, what I was realizing was that what I really was praying for, really was asking for, was God to give me strength to begin to live and trust what I already know to be true about him. That wasn't really asking for wisdom, like I didn't really know what or who, but instead that I needed the ability to live what I already knew to be true about who God is. That true wisdom is the ability to live the truth that we already know. Most of us, right, are in that place that we just need to believe and trust and step out into what we know God is already calling us to or in the direction he's already leading us. Wisdom as the ability to live out what we already know to be true about God, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that God will never cast you out there, he will never abandon you, that he has already empowered your heart with his truth and part of trusting him is stepping out into that reality. Now I was thinking through these things and I began to think that I think most of us live in a place like this. And the Bible is full of this sort of movement that says, do you really believe what you say you believe? Are you willing to put your life in that place? And this morning we're going to be in the book of James because the book of James is really written to that category of people. It's written to a, a large group of Jewish Christians that have been scattered all over the place. Twelve tribes of them, and he writes this letter to them. And, and really, James's letter is about, it's not enough to just say you're a follower of Christ. At some point in time, that has to be evident in your life. So as a follower of Christ, the things that I say I believe have got to manifest in how I live. In other words, the things that I say I believe about God, I have to have the wisdom or the ability to begin to put my trust and hope and put them into practice in my life. And the book of James is really about that kind of wisdom. Now, James is the brother of Jesus. He's a leader of the church in Jerusalem, wrote this book somewhere in the vicinity about 480, 44, uh, through 80, 64, probably the earlier kind of writing. But its intention was to empower believers to remember at some point in time, this thought process about Jesus has got to manifest in your life. It should change the way that you live. And as I was thinking about this, I began to think this is really oftentimes where I am in my life, that all the things that I have going on up in here and in here have got to pour out into my ability to truly live them. And James in chapter three, we're going to be today, is going to show us two kinds of wisdom. And we're going to keep this definition of wisdom in mind, right? The, the ability to live out what I already know to be 
true or the ability to live out what I already know. And James is going to introduce us to two kinds of wisdom. He's going to introduce us to a real kind, an authentic kind that comes from heaven. And he's going to introduce us to a false kind, an inauthentic kind that comes from the enemy. And it's a lie. And what we're going to try and unpack this morning is which one is pushing our lives. And, of course, the answer is not quite as easy as we would like it to be. Uh, so if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to James chapter 3. Uh, we'll be in verse 13, possibly. 13. We'll be in verse 13 together. And we're going to explore this idea of wisdom, really two kinds of wisdom, true, authentic wisdom, and a false wisdom, an inauthentic wisdom, and a lie. And we're going to see which one kind of is driving and pushing our hearts. So let's take a moment, let's pray, and then we'll go into the Word together. Lord, we are, are grateful for the opportunity to gather here this morning. I thank you for every single heartbeat you brought in this place. Lord, you do not uh, do things in random movements. You do things with intention. And so you brought everybody here, God, I believe that, for a very specific purpose, that you want to speak to our hearts, that you want to teach us, that you want to reveal truth to us. God, you want to move in us. And every one of us came in this place with all kinds of different things, different agendas, different struggles, different fears, different failures, different victories, different things. And the incredible thing about who you are, God, is that you meet each one of us right where we are. You don't require us to, to fix our lives, to adjust all of our stuff, and then show up and say, see, God, look, I'm ready. You just meet us where we are in the middle of our garbage and junk and stuff and failures and fears. You just meet us there. And so, God, I pray this morning that what you would do is you would just meet us in the middle of our stuff. Whatever that means and wherever we are, you would just meet us in the middle of it. Take a moment right in your own heart and just ask the Lord to teach you this morning. Whatever that looks like or whatever you need to whisper to him, just ask the Lord to teach your heart. Take a moment, pray for someone around you, beside you, in front of you, even if you don't know their name. Just be in the habit of praying for other people. Just pray that God would move in them. Lord, we turn our entire morning over to you. We turn our worship over to you. We turn your word, of course, over to you, God. We turn communion as we celebrate that today over to you, Lord. We just release everything to you. God, you are the author and perfecter of life, and so we ask that you would teach our hearts, convict us when we need to be convicted, encourage us when we need to be encouraged, challenge us when we need to be challenged. Lord, we lay our lives at your feet. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So James is a pretty powerful book. We went through it verse by verse several years ago, um, actually many years ago. And one of the things that I discovered as I was going through this book was James writes very practically uh, about things in our life that we both know but don't know how to really live. And the entire movement of the book is about putting into my life and actions the things that I believe and know about God, that my life needs to be changed by the knowledge that's stored up in my heart. And I think it's one of the great challenges of the Christian life, right? That how do I take the trust and belief that I have in Jesus and manifest that in my life enough where I can live it out? God, how do I live a life that trusts you? God, how do I live a life that follows you? How do I live a life of obedience when I know that you're good? How do I believe that trust? When you tell me you'll protect us or not forsake us or never leave us, how do I trust that and believe that and pour that out through my life? And it's a, a really powerful book. And in the middle of uh, chapter 3, he spends some time really talking to these Jewish believers saying, listen, I want you to understand that your words matter. And he has a huge section on taming the tongue and the words that we speak and how we speak them to each other and to the world. And that is going to be a massive part of our uh, kind of witness to the world, how we talk to each other, the words that we use, the way that we shouldn't gossip or slander or hurt each other, but we should speak love and speak truth. And he couples that with this idea of wisdom. Right after it, he couples this. He says, there are really going to be two ways to think about your life, to think about wisdom. And he's going to lay those out there for us, and we're going to look at them this morning. So if you got that open up to uh, James chapter 3, verse 13, let's look at these few verses together. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom 
does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So James starts off and he basically says, look, there are two kinds of wisdom, right? He's going to lay this sort of foundation out. There is a, a wisdom that comes from heaven and is rooted in righteousness and peace. And it comes from heaven. And he says, and, and it's authentic. And then there's a wisdom, which your Bible puts in quotes, right? There is a wisdom that is rooted in bitter envy and selfish ambition, and it comes directly from the devil. So he says, there are two ways of thinking about your life and its influences and wisdom. There is a righteous wisdom that comes from heaven, and it's manifested in good deeds and humility. In other words, it comes out in your life in the way that you live. Or there is a wisdom, in quotes, that comes from the enemy that is driven by selfish ambition and envy, bitter envy. And he says these two things are both very active. And he calls them two kinds of wisdom. But really, if we want to name it correctly, there's really not two kinds of wisdom. There's wisdom, which is true and authentic. And then there's wisdom, in quotes, which is the opposite of this. And by all definitions, it's not really wisdom at all. It's actually a lie. It's untruth. It comes from the devil. The devil is a father of lies. And so this wisdom is a lie and is rooted in selfish ambition and is rooted in envy, bitter envy. And James says these two things are constantly at play, right? Who's wise among you? Let's see it manifested in the way that they live. There is this one type of wisdom driven by heaven, by, by humility and good deeds, right? And then there's this other false wisdom this lie. And then he begins to unpack these things. Now, most of us would easily say, I would identify with that, right? Wisdom, true wisdom that is manifested from heaven and pours out in our life like most of us live here. But James is writing to a group of believers. He's not writing to random people. So we struggle with this because this area over here is so easy to believe. And so James starts off by saying, let's name these things. There's true wisdom, and then there's a lie. One is authentic, one is inauthentic, and they are both at play in your life. And as I started thinking about our definition that I'm working through with wisdom, right, the ability to live out what I already know to be true, I can see the conflict that arises in my heart. Bitterness and envy, right, the way that they take seed and hold, and the way the, the, the enemy lies to me. And then true wisdom, which is humility and good deeds, things that manifest themselves in my life, the outpouring, not the things that are happening here, but the things that come out. And James says, let's look at them, and I'm going to unpack them both for you. And he says, let's look at the first one, this, this wisdom, this false wisdom, and he lays it out there first. He says, there is a false wisdom or a lie, which we'll call an inauthentic wisdom. Such wisdom, right, harbors bitter and selfish ambition, and it does it in your hearts, he says not to boast about it or deny it. that wisdom does not come from heaven. It is earthly, unspiritual, and it's of the devil. So he's saying there is one type of mindset or characteristics that is at play in your heart because you are sinful, right? And we are inclined towards sin. And he goes in, there's two major markers for this type of wisdom, envy and selfish ambition. Now, if I were to ask each one of us in here, including myself, are those things that are hallmarks of your life? Most of us would say, absolutely not. Like, of course not. But when you begin to think about them, you begin to see how these things take root and they take play in your life. Envy, to, most of us tend to think that the word envy means uh, kind of I want something that's not mine, right? I'm envious. So I look at my neighbor and I see their car or their house or their family or their job or their stuff, and I'm envious because I want that. So most of us can kind of categorize envy as saying, I want something that I don't have. I'm envious, I'm jealous. We put it in those categories. A lot of times those thoughts are fleeting, but most of us don't live there just standing and longing for something somebody else has, whether it's physical or whether it's a relationship, whether all your other friends are getting married or whatever it is that you long for something somebody else has. Most of us see that, but we don't really live there. But envy, right, it's not really about just wanting what somebody else has. Envy actually begins as a lack of contentment and joy in your own life and heart. Envy begins when we look at the Lord and say, you are not enough for me. 
When our hearts begin to betray us by telling us that if we could just have one more thing or whatever that is, we would begin to feel whole. If I could just find a husband or a wife or if I could just get that raise or if I could just get this debt paid down, then I would be able to truly relax or truly find rest or truly find peace. Envy doesn't begin because we want a different car. Envy begins because I'm not content with who I am because I haven't found my joy and my life and my sustainability in Christ. Envy begins there. And James says it's a lie and it leads to a wisdom that is from the enemy. The enemy wants you to not be content. He wants you to look at your life and go, this is a ripoff, man. He wants you to look at your heart and go, Jesus is not giving me what I want, so I'm going to go find it other places. It's a lie, and the enemy feeds them to us. He continues to tell me, you deserve more. You should have more stuff, but just whatever. Don't be content here. We're fueled by that in our culture, right? Don't be content. Always want more. Strive, push, drive, whatever it takes. Don't be content with what you have. Always want more more, which is the constant tension between culture and the Christian life. Because the Christian life's call is to say, Jesus, you are enough for me. Right? So you've got this idea of envy that drives this lie, this false wisdom. And then James says that you also have this other piece. You've got selfish ambition. You've got bitter envy and you've got selfish ambition. Now, selfish ambition is not that definition of like, You're ambitious at work because you want to get a promotion or a better job. That's not really what James is referring to. He's actually talking more about promotion than he is about ambition. That selfish promotion that says, I want people to see me. I want my life to be seen by people, and I want to project a certain image that they will see and either praise me or recognize me, one, because I need it, or two, because my self-esteem is so low that I need it fueled by the voices of people. Selfish ambition or selfish promotion is driven by the need for people to tell me what God has already told me I am. Because again, he's not enough for me. So I need people to reassure me that I am worth something. And so I promote myself. And I've said this a zillion times, but it's worth saying again because our culture is so prevalent in it. But social media is the one that fuels this. It didn't start it. We've always been this sinful, but social media fuels this desire for self-promotion, not so you can say, hey, look at me, but so that I can get a response and find value. So what do we do? What do we post, right? We post inauthentic pictures of our whole lives. Most of us, not everybody, but most of us, right? We post our trips to the Caribbean and we post our, our vacation photos and we post all these things. And then when someone doesn't reply or like or whatever, we find it in our hearts to wonder why. And a lot of us take it really personally. I have a 14-year-old. It lives in our home, right? Why didn't she say something? Why didn't she reply back, snap back, whatever, this, insta-like, gram text, on the line, whatever? Why? Because my value comes in the responses of people because essentially what I'm saying is that Jesus, as much as I don't like to say it out loud, my heart longs for more than what you tell me I am. And the enemy loves it because he wants you to try and find your value out there. And it's funny because James calls this a wisdom because it's a wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world says, don't be content with what you have. Go get more for yourself. Don't be content with Jesus, what Jesus says about you and who you are, beloved and beautiful. Go find words of people to fuel your ego. The enemy wants that. You know why? Because those things will always fail. They will always fail. And the truth of Christ will never. And so the enemy will constantly direct us towards the lie. And he says that wisdom, right? It's a lie, quote wisdom. It's rooted in bitter envy, selfish ambition. But he says something else about it that I find very telling. He says this, when these things, which are very real, and they're very real in all of our hearts because we are sinful and we are inclined towards sin, right? He says this, 
He basically says that when you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. That wisdom leads from the devil and it leads to disorder and every evil practice. But that word harbor is really important. Don't harbor these things or when you harbor these things in your heart. Now, most of us, there are thoughts that are very active and very real. But there's a very big difference between knowing the lie and living the lie right? We all know the lie. We know it. We know that it's not true. We know that God wants more for us. We know that the answer is not just whatever's over that next hill or the grass is always greener. We know that. But there's a difference in knowing that and letting that penetrate us and begin to living it. And James calls it harboring. Think about that word harbor for a minute. What is a harbor? A harbor is a safe place for a ship to dock in a storm, a place where you can go and reload, find safety, uh, refuel, do all the things that you need to do with the safety attached to a dock with ropes so your boat doesn't get torn apart. You know what we do when we give bitter and envy a place in our hearts is we begin to harbor them. We give them a safe place to dock and unload and refuel and begin to think, and we begin to ponder, and we begin to wonder, and we begin to get, yeah, why don't I get that? Why don't I have that? Why should I not? And it perpetuates that into, I want the world to think this, or I need to hear this. And we begin to fuel this bitter, envy, self-promotion thing that says, Jesus, even though we would never say this out loud, you are not enough for me. Because we have given the lies of the enemy harbor in our hearts. We've anchored those things in there and we've let them take root. Now, most of us won't admit that, but it happens so subtly, so carefully. We never intend it to happen, but we wake up and it's just ingrained in us. Bitterness, envy, lack of contentment, broken self-image, right? Self-promotion. Lies, masks, things that we come in here and try and pretend we're not. James isn't talking to a bunch of non-believers out there in the Gentile world. He's writing to Christians because this is real. And he says that type of wisdom is a lie. It's false. He says, but there is a true wisdom, right? Wisdom that comes from heaven. He says the wisdom that comes from heaven is pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Now, what's interesting about this wisdom is that it has a lot of byproducts that are evident in our lives, right? The byproducts are not envy, lack of contentment, hurt, jealousy, self-ambition, all those kind of things. The byproducts are very different. The byproducts of a healthy, right, true biblical wisdom Pure, meaning Jesus, my motives are about you, not about me. Peace-loving, meaning not just like world peace, like I want world peace. Like I don't want anxiety in my heart. I don't want to live in fear. I don't want to live in worry. I want to live in a place of peace, right? Jesus is the prince of peace, not because he came to give the world peace, but because he gives peace to our soul. It's peace-loving. It's considerate thinks of other people first. It's submissive. Not like, oh, I give in to everything, but Jesus, I submit to your will. Like you are my Lord. And it's not my way or the highway. It's Jesus, I want to die to you, right? It's full of mercy, right? It's compassionate and kind to people, even when they may not deserve it. It's full of mercy and good fruit, meaning it evident in our lives, impartial, it's just, it's fair, and it's sincere, meaning it's authentic. James says that both these types of wisdom have markers in our lives. Pure and peace-loving, considerate, full of mercy, good fruit, all those kind of things, and envy, and selfish ambition, and fear, and anxiety. When I was thinking about even my own heart and what I was asking for when I was saying, I feel like I'm in a time where I just lack wisdom, what I'm, what I'm really dealing with is I've allowed other things to harbor in my heart. And they have displaced my ability to live what I already know to be true about God. That he is worth being trusted. That he is never leaving or forsaking. That he is all good, all kind, all powerful, 
and always in control. And I've allowed these things to harbor, to take root in here and begin to tell me that those things are untrue or that I can't trust them or that I can believe them. But wisdom, true wisdom is the ability to live what I already know to be true about God, to take those ships and push them out to sea. James wraps up by saying there's two byproducts of this, right? The byproduct of true wisdom Actually, we'll do the byproduct of that false wisdom first, which is in verse 15, right? It's earthly and unspiritual. For where you have envy and selfish ambition in the byproducts, you find disorder and every evil practice. So what's the byproduct of false wisdom? It's disorder, it's chaos, it's lack of peace, it's every evil practice. Meaning the byproduct of believing that false wisdom is deep and real sin. And does it start off that way? it slowly eases into our lives. And then when we live in chaos, I can justify pretty much anything, right? Inks its way slowly into our heart and the byproduct is chaos. And I find that word to be really powerful because it's the opposite of everything that God is. God is perfect and orderly and peaceful and restful, right, for our souls. Chaos is the opposite of all that. Chaos is, I don't know what's going to happen. Where are we going to go? What's going to happen? Where are we going to do this? I find anxiety and worry and all these kind of things. And oftentimes my heart lives in that moments of chaos. But it is the opposite of true wisdom. The byproduct of that true wisdom, right, if you look in verse 18, is peace and righteousness. The byproduct of really believing what we already know to be true, what Scripture already told us about Jesus is peace and righteousness, the opposite of chaos and unrest. I find it fascinating because I find myself often asking all the wrong questions, right? What I thought I was asking the Lord is, God, I need you to give me direction. But what I really needed was, God, give me strength to truly believe what you've already told me about me, about who you are, and about where you're going. God, I'm just afraid I've allowed the anchors of false wisdom to take harbor in my heart, right? Those boats to take harbor and envy and lack of contentment and fear and chaos. They just run amok. God, what I really need is not you to show me something new, but to show me how I live what I already know about you. To buy into a true wisdom that says, God, you have given me everything you've always and ever promised. I want to live that. Most of us in this room have given way too much of our heart and life and time and energy to this lie. And it's taken root and taken hold and it's time to push those things out. I won't believe it anymore. It's not who I am. But Jesus, you call me something totally different. You call me beloved and you call me worth dying for. I mean, that's ultimately the picture that we celebrate with communion, right? That God loved you and he loved me so much that we were worth dying for. That he sent the the life of his son to give us life. That you are worth that. That that extravagant, incredible, amazing love of God was laid down for you so that you would know him and you didn't have to believe and live in this garbage. But that you could live in this truth, in this rest, in this peace, in this authentic, real wisdom that is from heaven and not the lie of someone who wants to destroy your life. So when we take this meal together, what we're really proclaiming is much more than just remembering that Jesus died for us, right? We're actually proclaiming something much bigger. That not only did you die for me as an act that happened some 2,000 years ago, but you died as a gift and as a reminder of how much you love me and how that changes everything about me, including how I see my own life and heart. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he literally got together with his disciples. They gathered in this upper room. And he gave thanks and he took a loaf of bread. He took that bread and he broke it. He said, this bread is my body and it's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after he took the bread, he took the cup and he said, this cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant. That as long as we take up this bread and this cup, we are proclaiming Christ's death until he comes again. 
What we celebrate this morning is far more than a ritualistic meal that takes place in our Christian traditions. We celebrate the truth about a God who loves us, wants us to know he loves us, and that he is enough for us. Here at the Vine, we take communion by means of intinction, which means we just uh, form two lines, and as you come down, you take a piece of bread, and you dip it in the cup, and you eat it. We have gluten-free options up here. Just let your servers know, and they will take care of that. But we encourage you, as you feel led by the Lord, to just get up and visit one of the stations, and then remain standing as we close out our time together. I invite our servers to come forward as we pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here together. We thank you for your word, which is timeless and true and real. We thank you, God, that it is beyond our comprehension at times, but it is amazing. And Lord, we confess that there have been all too many times in our life where we have given into those lies. We have bought into those lies. We have given them harbor and safe passage in our hearts. We have believed them, and we have given them room to grow and maneuver but Lord, we ask this morning that as we take this meal, you would be, begin a process of pushing those ships out. That we'd be able to say to ourselves, God, you are enough for me, Jesus. I want to find contentment in my own life, where I am at this moment, in my lack of things or in my abundance of things. I want to exchange chaos for peace. I want to exchange worry and anxiety for trust and joy. So Lord, as we share this meal together, make those exchanges in our heart very tangible and very real. We ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Go to darkest and Redeemer's conflict see Watch with him one bitter hour Turn not from his griefs away Learn of Jesus Christ to pray Turn not from his griefs away
your love for us so perfectly, God, that we are recalling that and reliving that this morning. Every day that we draw breath is gratitude for who you are and what you've done. Lord, we thank you that you have given us a demonstration of this love, this expression of your glorious grace. And God, we take it honestly, seriously. We want to be empowered to trust you, to live out of chaos, to believe that you are who you say you are, and to let that apply in our lives. God, to be people that live in true wisdom and not buying into the lie of the enemy. So Lord, as we close our time in worship, I pray that you would begin to take those, let those things take root in our hearts, help us push out the lies, the things that we have bought into that have directed our lives into chaos or anxiety or fear, and to exchange those things for the truth that you have promised, true wisdom, the ability to live out what we already know to be true about you. So God, hear our cries as we close in worship celebrating all that you are and all that you've done for us. You hear us calling, you hear us calling, our Father. You hear us calling, you hear us calling, our Father. You hear us calling, you hear us calling,
encourage you this morning to push whatever lies you need to out to sea. And ask God for the strength to allow you to live what you already know to be true. That is true wisdom. Go in peace. Thank you.